0: sentire media Hello everyone you're listening to a history of Italy Episode 96 Florence goes black and white and Dante gets involved <laughs> In the last episode, we left Dante Lighieri and the Florentine Guelphs celebrating the outcome of the Battle of Campaldino, which saw the Guelph faction definitively defeat the Ghibellines, who had rallied around the city of Arezzo. Within Florence, The division had been between the Ghibelline aristocracy and the Guelph middle class. Although there were among the middle class families, those who had asserted their economic power for so long, such as the Donati family, that they were almost a kind of new nobility. The middle class in Florence was made up of merchants and professionals, and was divided into the arts, which had started to consolidate themselves after the death of Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II, and in time divided up into three categories which also determined access to power in the city, with the lowest level being excluded. The arti maggiori, the top level, was made up of judges and notaries, doctors and spice merchants, moneylenders, woolmakers silk makers, and potters, reflecting some of the most important industries in the city. When he would later get involved in politics, Dante Ligieri would become a member of the Doctors and Spice Merchants Corporation. Not quite sure why, but I suppose he had to get in somewhere. The Arti Medie, the medium level, was made up of butchers, shoemakers, builders, stonemasons, smiths, and second-hand shop owners. The lowest level that was excluded from power was that of wine sellers, innkeepers, other sellers of oil and food products, key makers, cart drivers, woodsmen, shield makers, just to name a few. Already before the Battle of Campaldino, these groups of corporazioni, had imposed a system of government in which twelve priors from among their ranks assisted the Podestà and the Capitano del Popolo, the captain of the people. Now the Guelphs were free to implement their system without the interference of the Ghibellines. And the two great victors of the battle and most important families of Florence, the ancient Donati and the new rich Cerchi, were on the same side, for now. After the Battle of Campaldino, Dante did not see much more military action, aside from some skirmishes against the Ghibelline Pisa and the siege of the castle of Caprone. Mostly he could go back to hanging around with his Stilnovisti poet friends, a group which the poet Guido Cavalcanti had got him into. He could write poetry and have it put to music by great musicians of the time, such as Casella and Saccotto. In 1290, Dante, as we said, a skinny, wiry guy, got sick and took to bed for some days. It was as he lay in his sickbed that he heard the news of the death of Folco Portinati, the father of Beatrice. Even worse for our poet, Beatrice herself, his muse and the love of his life, despite the fact she had been married to Simone de Bardi, followed her father into the grave. Dante was absolutely devastated. He sought some consolation either with a woman called Lisetta or as some who would like a more platonic and intellectual Dante in philosophy or possibly both. Soon after the man himself got married, would you believe it, to a member of the prominent Donati family, Gemma. This was a bit like hitting the jackpot because Dante wasn't really rolling in cash and they mostly lived off Gemma's dowry. Despite the fact that the marriage was productive with Pietro, Jacopo, possibly a Giovanni and an Antonia and a Beatrice coming along to enlarge the family, These were Dante's bad boy years, hanging around with bad company and possibly with various other women. This bad boy period came to an end according to Dante after Beatrice came to him in a dream and basically told him to stop being naughty and get his act together. This was around 1294, the year in which he published his first great work, the one we spoke of in the last episode, the Vita Nova. However, another element that probably helped him get his stuff together was entering into politics. He was pretty successful in this endeavour. Unfortunately for the way things turned out for him, he entered at completely the wrong time, or at least he backed the wrong horse. Before we go there, however, a word from our sponsor. So... Dante entered into politics and he did quite well for himself. By the start of the 1300s he had become one of the priors and in 1300 he was sent on his first diplomatic mission to the town of San Gimignano. He also did well for himself in a more literal sense. Indeed, a policy was introduced in the Ghibelline-hating Florence that no nobles were to be allowed to participate in government and should be exiled. However, it remained to be determined who was to be considered a noble and who wasn't. They determined that if your family had had at least a knight in the last century, then yours was a noble family. Dante was quite happy to vote for this. He wasn't too thrilled when the idea of extending this to two centuries was proposed, That would mean going back to Dante's noble ancestor Cacciaguida, which would have got him in trouble. Luckily, the one-century option was the one that passed. It was as a prior that Dante was called upon also to vote for the exile of members of both the Donati and the Cerchi families, who by this time were part of the opposing faction of the Black Guelphs and the White Guelphs. The whole idea of Blacks and Whites had come from the city of Pistoia in Tuscany. Here the Cancellieri family had split off into two distinct branches due to a quarrel about inheritance between children of a first marriage, who were older and by now had white hair, and so were called the Whites, and a generation from a second marriage, who were younger, still had dark hair, and so were called the Blacks. Members of these factions ended up in exile in Florence, and there the Black outcasts were harboured by the Donati family, and the Whites by the Cerchi. And when the animosity between these two families and their factions grew to breaking point, they also took on these labels. Now, going through the whole evolution of the growing struggle between the two factions is rather complicated. It goes from personal level to families and then spreads to the whole city. It's made up of unrespected marriage rights, brawls, and so on. In one case, a brawl had broken out between very young teenage members of the two families and all involved had been put in prison. Then... While in prison, members of the Cerchi family were poisoned to the point of being sick, but not dying, and the head of the Donati family, Corso, was blamed. As we said before, Corso Donati was the head of a family that was not of noble origin, but had established itself in the city over a century before, and he was a very proud and haughty man, who could not stand the new rich up-and-coming Cerchi family. Therefore, when the Cerchi bought property that was actually attached to the Donati buildings in the Porta San Pietro area, he could not bear it. At a certain point, an alley was actually created to divide the properties to put to rest the talk of tearing down internal walls to get at each other. Actual blood was not spilt until the 1st of May 1300 when, in a fight in Piazza Santa Trinità, a member of the cerchi family had his nose cut off. Corso Donati managed to keep his men out of trouble this time and most of the other times, apparently because he was very good at corrupting the magistrates. For their part, the whites seemed a bit hesitant to push things too far, lest they should not be able to go back to normal despite the fact that many in the city were on their side. Things escalated beyond the city confines, and Pope Boniface VIII, as we mentioned in his episodes, got involved and, to make a long story short, ended up siding with the blacks, in part due to his suspicions that the whites had Ghibelline sympathies, and in part due to the blacks' great diplomatic abilities. In time, being part of the black Guelph faction of Florence meant that you had more of an elitist view of government and were quite happy to have strong involvement by the Pope. On the other hand, professing yourself a white Guelph meant that you were closer to the popular classes and were more for an independent position equally distanced between the Papacy and the Empire. As far as Dante was concerned, his marriage to Gemma Donati, a cousin of Corso, should have placed him in the black camp. However, he didn't actually like Corso, and his good friend Guido Cavalcanti was a member of the white faction, which Dante also became a member of. In any case, thanks to the ever-stronger intervention of Boniface VIII, who also called in Charles of Valois, the blacks took power in Florence and the whites were exiled. Dante would hate Boniface VIII and Charles of Valois for the rest of his life. So it was that on the 27th of January 1302 Dante alighieri who was not in Florence at the time was condemned to be burned at the stake if he ever set foot in the city again. As his wife and children probably watched on his house was demolished, Dante was now in exile. It is not known with absolute certainty what his moves were step by step after that. We do know, ironically, he ended up in Arezzo, the city he himself had helped to defeat, to try and organize a white Guelph resistance, at this point aided openly by the Ghibellines. The idea of an invasion of Florence was even floated, but nothing came of it. Possibly his next step took him to his first patron. Dante would live the rest of his life as a guest of the generosity of various rulers that by now had taken over the northern communes with their hereditary Signoria. The first was the Della Scala family in Verona, for whom Dante was also sent on various diplomatic missions. For example, in Padova, he got the opportunity to meet the artist Giotto. However, the court of the Della Scala was a very sumptuous, loud and busy place, which clashed somewhat with Dante's more reserved character. Perhaps it was for this reason that he accepted the invitation of the Malaspina family and went to spend some time back in Tuscany in Lunigiana, the northern part of the region. Now, one of the various, at times conflicting stories about him, would have this day as the moment in which he received a package from his wife back home in Florence. In said package was an unfinished work that he, according to this storyline, had already started while in Florence the first seven cantos of a little thing called the comedy. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting with the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Brian J, Celine, Chanel, Chris... David L, Dean, V, Elizabeth, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa Peter W, Renée B, Robert D, Rodney and the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby and Stephen and the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, would you believe, level... Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxim, David A and Sen. Welcome 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 aboard to new Patreon supporter Michele Lupo, cool name, as well as Damien S. Thank you to both and welcome welcome aboard. I'd also like to take a moment to thank Catalan RL Rules for a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for that. Remember, anyone can get in touch, hello, at ahistoryofitaly.com to ask some questions, to point out some issues. And I'd like to take a moment to thank Alan very much for pointing out that Provencal French is not actually a language, but Provencal is something of its own. So it's not French, it's a Mediterranean Latin language, much like Catalan or Occitan, or even Italian, more than French. So thank you, thank you very much, Alan, for pointing that out and apologies for that mistake. You can also go to our website, ahistoryofitaly.com, where you can go to our support page and support via PayPal or become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content And you can go and look at some videos, consult timelines and maps to help navigate our country's complicated history. Until next time, thanks very much to everyone for listening and arrivederci.